honor to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in, in Christ at Heartland Community Church. It's an honor to open up God's Word before you. And so I would ask that if you would take out your copy of, of God's Word and you would turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. This morning I'm going to jump around, I'm going to go throughout Scripture, but we'll start here and just kind of set the, the tone for the, the rest of the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's just ask God's blessing upon his word one more time. Father, we ask that you would take your word, that you would proclaim it graciously and boldly to us, that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst and would apply the word and open our eyes that we might see. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we all have blind spots right? We've read scripture a hundred times and we miss things all the time. We've read a particular passage, but because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we, under, we understand it for the first time, or, or maybe we, we notice something in a verse that we've never seen before, we all have blind spots. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 was one of my blind spots. And several years ago, I was, I was reading this passage, and I've probably read it a hundred times. Uh, I've led communion with it. But it wasn't until the Lord opened my eyes to it to see how absolutely integral the covenant is to the Lord's Supper. Now, I've always known that the covenant was intricate to baptism. And I've always known that the gospel was intricate to the Lord's table. But then the Lord really brought home and tied it together how intricate the covenant is to the Lord's table. If we want to understand the Lord's table, we need to understand the covenants. In fact, I would argue that the first you need to understand the gospel because the, the sacraments are a physical picture of the gospel. But then to understand the gospel, you need to understand the covenant. And so let me say that again. To understand the sacraments, you need to understand the gospel. And to understand the full scope of the gospel, you need to understand the covenants. 
J.I. Packer says it this way, the gospel of God is not properly understood until it is viewed within a covenantal framework. And see, that's what we see in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And really, that's what we see throughout all of Scripture. A covenantal understanding of Scripture is foundational to our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us in the gospel. And that's what he proclaims to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. I mean, most of us read that passage and we could literally leave out the phrase new covenant and it wouldn't change the meaning for us at all. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so the very picture that Christ gives to the church reminds us, reminds them of the gospel and that it is directly tied to the covenant. But really, the the covenant is central to all of Scripture. For example, if we took a tour of the Old Temple the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem. You'd begin in the outer courts. And then as you moved in further, you would enter into the inner chamber called the holy place. And then if you kept on moving to the center of the holy place, you would get to a place called the holy of holies. And in the center of that sacred room sat the ark of the covenant And inside the Ark of the Covenant sat the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. And guess what Moses called the Ten Commandments or those those tablets of stone? And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, Deuteronomy 9.11. They were covenant documents. Now, that might seem so familiar to us that we miss how absolutely extraordinary that is. You see, unlike the ancient Near Eastern religions of the time, the pagan temples of the day, God chose to reveal himself not through statues or idols or images, but through a covenant. At the very center of God's temple, the place where he chose to dwell amongst his people stood a covenant. Now, the concept of a covenant should astound us in and of itself. The very idea should blow our minds. A covenant is a commitment given to us by God where God promises blessings if the conditions are kept and curses if the conditions are broken. I'll say that again for those that take notes. A covenant is a commitment given by God to mankind where God promises blessings if the conditions are kept and threatens curses if the conditions are broken. Now, the first thing that should astound us is that God would make a covenant with us at all. But we see this echoing throughout Scripture. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
That's the very foundation of the covenant. It's a gracious act where the maker and the ruler of all creation stoops down and enters into a covenant with the very creation that he spoke into being. It's an, it's an unequal relationship. Just as a king enters into a covenant with those under them, the king of creation unanimously and unequivocally brings mankind into a covenant relationship with himself. Now, the second thing that we see is that as God enters into this covenant relationship with mankind, he gives conditions. He gives requirements in the covenant that must be kept. If the conditions are kept, there's blessings. If the conditions are broken, there are curses. And one of the best places to see this is by peering into the Ark of the Covenant and looking at those covenant documents, the Ten Commandments. You can find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, or you can look at Deuteronomy 5. Exodus 20 deals with the covenant as it's established with Israel after God has redeemed them from slavery. And then again in Deuteronomy 5, where God renews that covenant with a new generation of Israelites before they enter into the Promised Land. Now, if you turn over with me to Deuteronomy, you'll notice that the first few chapters of the book, God is really introducing himself, and he's reminding Israel of what he's done for them. We see that really summarized for, that, for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. Right before God gives the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So after God reminds his people of his relationship with them and everything that he's already done for them, then God begins to lay out the covenant stipulations or the covenant requirements. And this is why we find in the and this is where we find those those requirements do this don't do this. But notice the order here. The order is utmost of importance. God doesn't say, keep the Ten Commandments and then I'll make a covenant with you. And then I'll set you free from Egypt. And then I'll take you across the wilderness. And then I'm going to give you the promised land. No. God says, this is everything I've already done for you. Behold the wonder of my goodness to you. This is the salvation that I have provided for you as I freed you from Egypt. This is the provision and the protection that I gave you as you crossed the wilderness. And oh, by the way, here is the promised land that I am going to give you to. And now because of everything that I have already given to you, keep my commandments. And this is exactly what we see happening in the New Testament where Christ basically says, this is what I've done for you. 
This is the salvation that I have provided for you by dying in your place on the cross. This is the Holy Spirit that I am given to you to live in your heart and to guide you and to protect you. And oh, and by the way, here's heaven too. The new and the better promised land. And now because of everything that I've already done for you, follow my commandments. The old covenant is setting the stage for what we experience in the new covenant in Christ. Our salvation isn't based on what we've done for God. It's based on what he's done for us. And so it's important to know that it is out of a covenantal relationship, out of the redemption that we are called to obey Christ and to follow him. We're not called to obey Christ in order to receive that covenantal relationship or redemption. And so God gives Israel conditions. He gives them requirements as part of the covenant. And those conditions are summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. Ten laws that summarize how we are to love God. Those are the first four. And then how we are to love our neighbors, the last six commandments. And these laws are set as the condition of the covenant. If the conditions are broken, then we receive curses. If the conditions are kept, we receive blessings. Now, we typically don't think about the covenant containing curses. We like the blessings, right? But we kind of ignore the curses. But if you go further into Deuteronomy and you get to chapters 27 through 28, God tells the Israelites that once they enter into the promised land, they're going to need to perform a covenant ceremony containing blessings and curses. And he tells them that once they pass over the Jordan, they're to set up stones on the other side and to cover them with plaster. And on these stones, they need to clearly write the law of God so that people can see it and be reminded. In other words, he's telling them to write out the covenant requirements so that everyone can see and be reminded of the covenant. And then after that, they're to build an altar and they are to offer to God peace offerings. A covenant is made and blood is shed foreshadowing what will come with Christ. And then they were to divide into two tribes, two groups. One group would stand on the side of Mount Gerizim, representing the blessings to those who kept the covenant conditions. And the other group would stand on the side of Mount Ebal, representing the curses for those who broke the covenant conditions. And then the Levites would stand in the middle and they would call out before the people the blessings and they would call out the curses for those who broke the conditions. And after each proclamation, the tribes would respond by saying, Amen, or may it be so. Now this is a, this is a, a vivid picture that God is painting for the Israelites between the choice of good and evil that they will face, between what they should choose and, and, and what they will get if they choose to break the covenant. 
Would they turn to the good and be blessed or would they turn to the evil and receive curses? Now you may be sitting there thinking at this point in time, wow, that's really harsh. Curses? Curses? You're, you're absolutely right. It is harsh. But so is sin. You see, these curses are meant to show us how hideous our sin is before a pure and a holy God. Sin is, is bad. Sin deserves punishment. Now, understand, this isn't the first place that covenant curses and blessings show up in the Bible. In fact, they show up at the very beginning of the Bible. The very beginning of creation. When God first creates mankind, he enters into a covenant relationship with them. From the very beginning, God establishes a covenant with his people. And God gives conditions. And if those conditions are not meant, met, then there is a curse. Genesis 2 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded them saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. There's the condition. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And there's the curse. God tells Adam, if you break the covenant condition, the curse is death. And we, we know that this is a covenant relationship because Hosea 6-7 tells us, says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And there they dealt faithlessly for me. In other words, Adam was in a covenant with God. And so Adam, in this covenant relationship with God, broke the covenant and received the curse of death. And this curse is both physical and it's spiritual. Death enters into creation and it enters into their relationship with God, but it also enters into their relationship with one another. Genesis 3:14. The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we find that we as a church are in the midst of spiritual battle from the very beginning. Because Adam and Eve broke the curse or broke the covenant. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so in the blessing of even something as beautiful as childbirth, we see the curse creep in. As something as glorious as a husband and wife being united together, we see the curse slip in and conflict comes and division 
And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken and for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so something as good as work that was instituted well before the fall we see the curse enter in and we see conflict and hardship and work becomes a burden instead of a blessing. And we see death enter in where we have to say goodbye to loved ones as they leave this world. Adam and Eve in breaking the covenant put mankind under the curse. Let that sink in for a moment. See, the conflict you experience in your relationships, in your marriage, with your children, in your workplace, even in the church, that is a result of the curse. The sickness and pain that your body endures in this life is caused because Adam and Eve broke the covenant and mankind now experiences the covenant curses. Death entered into creation because the covenant was broken. Mankind deserves because we have broken the covenant and sinned against a holy and a pure God. But once the full weight of your sin sets in, once the full measure of God's judgment and justice is before your eyes, I also want you to see this. Turn with me to Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Do you see it? The blessings of Abraham are the covenantal blessings. The curse that Christ took are the covenantal curses. So that not only did Christ, the second Adam, keep the covenant perfectly when the first Adam could not, he took the covenant curses upon himself, earned by us the covenant breaker, and in its place, he gives to us the covenant blessings. John T. Rhodes says, When Jesus died, he did so bearing the covenant curse. His crown of thorns reminds us of the first time the curses were pronounced, right back in Genesis 3, where thorns on earth became a symbol of God's curses. 
When Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is experiencing the curse of being cut off from his father's presence to bless him. Being cut off has been a threat right from the beginning of the covenant story. He is, in other words, going through hell on the cross in the place of his people. All God's wrath rains down on him because he is representing them. And this is why Jesus in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In the very nature of the sacraments, we see the covenant curses and blessings. As we, as we physically experience the gospel in coming to the Lord's table, we see the covenant curses on display as the body of Christ is symbolically broken and the blood of Christ is symbolically poured out for us. The curse fell on Christ instead of falling on me or on you. But we also experience the blessings as we are welcome to the Lord's table, restored into relationship with Christ and welcomed as a family to the banquet table so that we might be nourished spiritually on the gospel of Christ. And not only does Christ fulfill the old covenant, but he enters into a new covenant with us as Jeremiah reminds us, and they shall be my people. And I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. For their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. The blessings And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 40. It's it's a stark reminder that we stand under a covenant. If we are a part of Christ, then we stand under the old covenant of works. We stand condemned under the curses because of our failures to keep the covenant. But if if we are in Christ, if we abide in him, we are brought into a new covenant, an everlasting covenant, an intimate fellowship with our God full of covenant blessings. And so how do we respond to that good news? That we stand under a new covenant established by Christ and his blood. Well, first, we respond by worship. We respond by coming to his table and worshiping him. Philippians 2, 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
See, we humbly bow before the Lord who graciously condescended to make a covenant with his creation. We worship our Savior who not only fulfilled the demands of the old covenant, but earns the blessings of the new covenant and then gives those blessings to his people. We fall before our Savior and worship because he himself is our God. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Second, we respond in love. If you boil down all of the covenant requirements into two, they would be love God and love others. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We love God because he first set his love upon us. We love others because he loves them and because he calls us to love them. Because they are made in his image. We love them when things aren't going well, when life is hard, when we maybe don't agree on everything. We love our spouse when marriage is hard and things aren't going like we originally thought they should. We love our children even when we're in those seasons of life or maybe they don't listen to us like we think they should every time. We love one another because God loves us. Because we are his covenant people. And we love others because he loves them. And he calls us to do the same. Third, we respond in obedience. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, but Jesus said this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We respond to God's covenant with us in obedience, not as one trying to earn God's favor, but as one who has already received his blessing, already been brought into the family and received his favor. And in response to that, we obey. We obey not as a way to try to earn covenant blessings, but as one who has been freely given those covenant blessings and is eternally grateful to a Savior who purchased them with his own blood. And so we respond to God in worship. We respond to God in obedience. And we respond to God in love. For he has established a covenant with his people and he has taken the curses of that covenant and given us his blessing. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask, Lord, 
that you would remind us over and over and over again of your great love for us. Lord, that you would establish in our hearts and our minds that you have paid the price, that we are your children, and that out of that relationship, we, we can follow and love you and one another. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.